This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas, I am the Echo's Everton FC correspondent and I am joined by a crop of experts here to go through some what was a pretty interesting 24 hours in the life of Everton Football Club. For those of you who follow closely, we did of course do a pod on Monday. That was obviously all the place for our post-Wolves analysis, but obviously it was pre-Leicester. And so much has changed since then, not just on the relegation picture, but also with news of investments, with news of a new contract for Abdullah Decore, at least a contract extension, and also a little bit of injury news going into a crucial game with Bournemouth at the weekend. It's not looking like positive news, I must admit. Then we thought today would probably be a good opportunity to do another special edition of the podcast really because there's just been so so much to talk about that it probably we, we could write five thousand words and we wouldn't be able to cover it all so anyway with me we've got regular contributor gav buckland it's mr statman we've got my colleague ollie Collins everton home and away chris beasley and we've got our fi- football finance expert dave powell as well but there's only one place to start uh, and that is at st james's park last night Chris was watching the uh, Real Marigold Hotel because he was his nerves were so fraught that he couldn't handle the idea of, of watching another 90 minutes in which somebody else's uh, controlled Evans' fate. Gav, I know you watched it. What were you thinking during that game? It was horrible, wasn't it? Oh, there's been a few like that, hasn't it, over the last few weeks? And you're thinking, you, you just get feelings in games. You've watched football long enough, you know, when... There's one in the first half thinking at the post and I was headed off the line and there's another shot at the post and then you got the one where the, the ball got shot between the player and the... And my thoughts turned back to a, a, a similar game many, many years ago between a team in blue shirts and black and white stripes that was similar, similarly one-sided and went the wrong way. And that was Everton versus Grimsby in 1984 in the League Cup, which is uh, most one-sided game ever seen at Goodison and we got beat 1-0 in the last minute. 26 corners we had. Um, yeah, so and it just became clear. But the, the thing was, I mean, we mentioned this yesterday on the pod, didn't we? That Newcastle only needed the point. And I think we we're saying with with ten minutes left, and you know that a point suits Newcastle, whether they'll shut up shop a little bit and just make sure they protect it. Yeah. And that you know that's not that's in their interest, not in our interest, is it? And that's also what happens. And um, at the end, well, Leicester could have could have stolen, couldn't they? Really, but. Yeah, it was all a bit. You don't you just don't like it, do you? Really, it's, it's horrible. But that's where we are at the moment. And I'm not. I'm not sure. After our points on Saturday, things have gone to plan. Gone to plan really. With Forest, do we expect it still to be in it on the final day? Or out of it? Unless the we thought would be out of it the other way, and that they'll be going down and out back in it. So interesting. I feel like. Before the game, I'd have taken a point and would have been quite bullish about Evans' position. Because obviously, they're still in a position where it's in their own hands. But having experienced that 90 minutes, I think I must have aged about five years between the moment the ball made contact with Timothy Castagna's boot and, and Nick Pope pushing it away in stoppage time. Yeah, must, I must have aged something. I think I, I jest at what Chris was doing. At one point, I was in that horrible situation where you're just watching it. And you, you need to be aware of it, so you've got it on, but you don't really want to watch it because it's just so anxiety-ridden. I was just going through Instagram. At one point, I was watching videos of owls in flight, just just something that came came up from the algorithms. I was like, anything is better than, than having to fully focus on this. Obviously, Chris, it, 
it wasn't ideal. The perfect scenario would have been that Leicester would have lost at Newcastle. The game would have gone to form and it would be essentially one fewer team to seriously worry about going into the final day. But it is still in Evans' hands, isn't it? And we, we must take some comfort from that, surely. I'm just relieved that those algorithms, those were the birds that came up online for you there, Joe. You could have been in trouble. Um, maybe it was because it was the magpies. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it, it was. Yeah, it's been tough watching. But obviously, we, we watched the Leeds West Ham on the weekend. So yeah, I, I didn't want to. You know, I, I it was. My, I'd finished for the day. I didn't want to watch that one. But um, yeah, on the, on the one hand, we didn't hope. You know, Leicester had, had a, um, would have had a. a a, a real good stuffing up at Newcastle even might have eroded their, their goal difference somewhat and then, then sort of gone into the last game of the season with a tail between his legs and uh, the fight sort of knocked out of them but from Everton's point of view like we say it doesn't actually change anything in that thankfully it was you know anything but a Leicester City win kept it in Everton's hands mm -hmm. and that's how it remains now that's how we hoped it would be after the one-all draw at, at Wolves on Saturday and it, we sort of twice escaped Nightmare scenarios at West Ham and then at Newcastle where Leeds or Leicester could have got more. So, yeah, for Everton, no, it, it, it's, it is that simple. They win. It doesn't matter what Leeds United do. It doesn't matter what Leicester City do. They can win by as many goals as they want. If Everton win, it's over and Everton save. And having spent best part of eight months or so of this season fuming at anybody who dares suggest that Nick Pope is a, a suitable <laughs> rival for Jordan Pickford as England's number one. I think after his, his penalty save from Patrick Bamford and his save from Castagna last night, I think Nick Pope probably is uh, he's clawing his way up the rankings in terms of Everton's player of the season, I think, isn't he? Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think you put Gab, didn't you? He was about third in the reckoning now, wasn't he? Like bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard noises in there blind for Everton manager to hear as well, I believe. Yeah, he's still he got a job to something. do, though, hasn't he? So, you know, we'll have to... <laughs> yeah, we'll, in the balance. We'll, we'll pass judgment on that on you know, at uh, half past six on Sunday, I think. Obviously, the match up in the North East was only one part of the saga that was Everton Football mm. Club on Monday. The other one, and a very significant part, was the news that MSP Sports Capital, the New York-based investment firm, have reached an exclusivity agreement with Farhad Mashiri, the Everton majority shareholder. And it looks like they're going to look at the books now with a view to potentially, if a deal does go ahead, invest in Everton. It probably won't be the full takeover that was mooted from some quarters from 7-7 seven, seven partners, MSP's rivals in this. But it does look like there will be new influence at the highest levels at Everton. Dave Powell, you're a, a football finance expert. It's a significant development. It's not uncharted territory, is it? We have been here before. Yeah, it's probably about 12 months ago, give or take a, a couple of weeks, I think, since the um, uh, the, the Peter Kenyon, Mashek Kaminsky, uh, John Thornton saga that, that dragged out. Um, they entered into an exclusivity agreement. Um, that initially was, a, like it is this time round, the, the, the view was initially talks were around stadium investment and then they pivoted to, towards... A potential full takeover um, all fell away in the end and it was always a bit of unease about how it was being carried out very much in the public eye um, it was all very odd um, in terms of you know when you're thinking about uh, spending hundreds of millions of pounds on a uh, on a Premier League football club it's uh, it, it wasn't didn't really smack of the way to go around it but but yeah it's 
different story this time around because both um, you know seven 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 and MSP have been uh, in talks for a, a little while. MSP were at the Southampton game in uh, January. Jamna uh, Jaffe, Jeff Murad, and uh, I think it's Vice President Peter Taylor. So they they went to watch that game. Um, they, they, they stuck around, and still interested despite right. um, despite what they saw during that ninety minutes. But um, and, and they also uh, believe they had a, had a tour around Bramley Moor Dock um, when they were there, because obviously that was the for, for MSP certainly that was the crux of their interest in in Everton is um, is the stadium, and, and we, we've kind of moved to this point now for an exclusivity agreement whereby they'll they'll be able to look at the books and do due diligence in more more detail without fear of um, being gazumped or having someone else come in and have a. Uh, make a last-ditch bid during this period of exclusivity. They, they tend to last between 30, 60 days. You can apply for extensions, but um, given the, the fact they're looking at a minority stake, um, these things are usually far swifter because there's less um, less red tape that's needed, uh, less assurances to, 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 to kind of get these things done. So um, there there's seems to be a will on both sides to, to kind of get there. Um, I know Mishirian Pastor has said he can... You know, he if needs be, he he can fund the rest of the stadium. You know, stadium build, but um, these things change. This is forever a fluid situation, Everton, isn't it? There's never uh, um, you, you don't know what's happening one day to the next. Certainly not this year. Um, so I think even you know if obviously if the, the the MSP investment, I don't think is predicated on them um, Everton remaining in the Premier League because it's. It's been done through, from what I can gather, through kind of a preferential shares. So they won't be taking an equity stake in the club yet. They have the option to do that, I believe. But then they what they would um, do it does it projects their position position essentially um, gives them less exposure. Um, should the club go down, but obviously if the club stay up, um, the the picture changes, and you know. I think I, I do think, and I've said this to you, to you, Chris and um, Joe, in the past. I think it's um, feels like Mysteri is kicking open the door here to to hit a, a full takeover at some point down the line. He's just reducing the burden of risk on his shoulders at the moment of, of what is a you know, after a particularly bruising few financial periods. Um, I think he's uh, he's wanting to kind of remu- remove some of that onus on him. Um, and I think if obviously if they get the result on Sunday, um, and then they can get this deal over the line with and have a, the final tranche of funding uh, made available for the stadium, you know, things start to look a lot more positive, um, albeit MSPR, a, I mean, the, the serious people, I always mention this because I watch Succession all the time, they are serious people, so um, they will be, historically their modus operandi has been, with, with their investments, they like operational control or an element of operational control, so that seats on the board. Um and I think even if it's with preferential shares, even if they haven't got equity in the club, I think that there will be some element of control that they have, even though they want to have voting shares in the club as yet. Um, I think they would want some say, some direction, be able to put some of their people uh, in place to try and guide what their investment looks like, how that capital's put to work, etc. So um, I think we're going to see changes. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think we're certainly in for a, a, a turbulent summer, aren't we? Obviously, like you, we've alluded to in the past, we've, we've been here before with periods of exclusivity, but this one does feel a little bit more um, 
serious and perhaps it did did last summer doesn't it and you know it's, it's an opportunity isn't it i think in fairness mashiri has said that his intention his primary intention has been investment rather rather than a full takeover initially at least and using this partly as a vehicle to bring in outside expertise to help with the club um and whilst obviously we need to express caution and due diligence needs to be done and that includes due diligence by us in the local media about any new people that could prospectively come in to everton you know change is probably needed to some extent isn't it gavin and, and new ideas on, on on that board might not be the worst thing in the world provided obviously that you know the background checks are right and the motives are sincere yeah i mean certainly you know placate some of the fan base developer not some <laughs> you know the majority of the fan base have been very unhappy on the way the board's operated uh over the you know several years now so for many that's a that's a step in the right direction um for me i just couple of things dave just picking on if you don't mind me asking the question is the expectation that the, uh, there's a figure being close to 105 million isn't there i'm not sure whether that's Right. His expectation is that will just be used towards the stadium. Uh, I, I, the actual that that figure is, was kicking around a little while back, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Um, based upon, I think the valuation of the club. I think from from what we're told, it's twenty to twenty five percent seems to be the the area that they're working in. Um, but yeah, that that one hundred and five million seems about the round, kind of the right ballpark figure for what the club's probably valued at. Yeah, because I mean, I just I'm sorry, just another question. You said that is that. This this going to be the all that's needed to complete the stadium, the hundred and five, or is the expectation there's still money to be? Um, well, you know, it, found after it, that. It, it was it was that kind of. It, it, remember when Mashiri um, uh, went on on Talksport and kind of the the, the the value of the stadium went from five hundred million to seven hundred and sixty million. Um, now it's. Um, a lot of that, the, the, the talk around that was some of that was related to kind of ancillary development around, you know, related to the stadium, so the whole thing from the very start of it to the very finish of it. So um, how much is left? I mean, it's hard to know right now where we're at, how much has been committed by by Mishiri, um for the full stadium build. But I imagine we're probably getting close with that, that £105 million, or at least it will bridge... Um, a gap to get them to a point whereby the, the final kind of, you know, whatever needs to be tied up can be tied up by um, whether it's through Mishiri himself again, or whether it's um, through a, a sponsorship deal, um, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, so, so, it, but I, I would imagine there's still more than 105 million left to complete the, the build in total, because um, that would suggest that Mishiri's put in, you know, 395 for, or so for the stadium so far, and I don't think it's that high, is it? So, um, but yeah, it, it certainly helps them get over the hump to get where they need to, I think. Um, and but it's, it's what happens after that. Um, like we, we talk all the time about it, unless there's some element of, of kind of change in, in operational control at the football club, then the same mistakes are probably going to be made. Yeah, I was just thinking before, never, never has been a day where so many Everton fans have typed in. The phrase preferential shares into Google. <laughs> you want to, yeah. you want to explain that to us? Yeah. So, Dave, someone's in, but that's There's preferential shares and there's equity, isn't there? And the two are different. So, yeah, preferential, so shares. preferential shares. You don't have voting rights. Um, 
And what it does, it, it's um, it's another way of, of businesses to raise kind of share capital, but it's um, it protects the um, the investors, I suppose. So, uh, for an example, and this is an example here. I'm not for for, for you know foreboding anything. It's um, if a business is liquidated, preferential shareholders um, get first refusal on um, on assets being kind of handed out over over normal shareholders. So, um, it, but that's you know, there's no you know that's not the reason why this has been done. I think the reason for this is to remove the exposure of um, MSP. So more essentially, it's like a loan for, for for the club at the moment. It'll be a loan where MSP will be able to charge interest on that loan for now. Um, so it will be a it is kind of it's just a funding technique for them. It's a way to raise it's just debt being raised essentially overall. So what that means is that but the difference being is that MSP can convert that um should they wish over time um into equity in the club and that may well happen you know it would their appetite be to do that if the club was in the championship maybe less so but if the club stays up um and you know next season starts uh starts well and starts moving in the right direction then they might see that as an opportunity to um to kind of take equity in the business but what the difference here being is that usually with preferential shares you don't get um, voting rights um but i imagine that'll be the same with this but what would what i'm hearing is that they're probably going to have some element of operational control at board level so that's where it kind of um it, it's a kind of mix between the two it feels almost so um but yeah it, it basically reduces the risk on on msp but provides a financing machinery needs um and there's kind of a dividend in terms of interest for for MSP on the, on however much they're loaning. So just one one other question: what what, what do we know about? Because they've been involved in, or they are involved in four or five clubs elsewhere. In Beverance, one of them in Belgium and stuff. What do we know about their other dealings with those they're, clubs? They're, they're kind of in direct. Um, I think they're, they're kind of indirect investments, so they do it through. Um, it's David Blitzer, who uh, he's one of the owners of Crystal Palace. Um, he's got a company called Bolt Football Holdings. They own a, it's very much the multi-club model we talk about where they try and find synergies across clubs in Europe. Um, so they have an investment within that. So um, it's not their um, their capital MSP, MSP directly, which is being invested in these clubs and they don't have any anyone on the board there. Um, the most interesting ones to probably look at are their... Uh, the investment they had in McLaren in Formula One. Um, that's, I think, when they arrived, they bought into that 2020, um, and it was a loss-making business. But obviously, you know, that's during the period of COVID. It's very difficult difficult to, to, to kind of um, make much money as a sports uh, business when you're during COVID. But the uh, that's now a profitable business. Um, the Drive to Survive series has obviously seen that. Popularity accelerate. They've invested in the X Games. Um, John Jaffe, who is the co uh, co founder of MSP, he's a, a minority shareholder, the second second largest shareholder in the Phoenix Suns. Um, but they they looked at over two hundred investment opportunities last year um, across sport. Um, a lot of them uh, outside of the US, and I think they ended up investing in, in two. Um, so they, they are quite choosy, but they obviously see the value proposition in Everton. I think because it's a, it's a storied football club, it's a it's a recognised brand globally. But obviously the issues are that it's it's been in financial 
turmoil for the best part of four or five years now. But with a new stadium, they're probably thinking if they can put the right people in the right places over time in the future, that they can turn that into a... I mean, look at Newcastle. That's a, that, What was the purchase price there? £350 million. I mean, they've spent mm-hmm. since then. But is that, you know, they're in the Champions League now. Is that a better value than putting to work, um, you know, Two and a half billion on Chelsea, and then spending another billion pound the transfer markets, and then another one and a half billion they're going to have to spend on Stamford Bridge. So um, we're going to see more and more US investment, but it's um, it's about you know it, not all um, not all are the same. It's about having the right people in the right places, and I think it's probably been Everton's downfall. The, the people you know they, they've they've made some mistakes in terms of operational control in recent years. So um, it'd be nice to have some new eyes and expertise on the board, even if this is minority um, a, a, a new investment deal initially. Um, I think it does chart the path for an exit for, for Mishiri. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, thanks, today. That, that's really helpful. We'll move back to on-the-pitch matters now, and we'll start with some news that, that I reported on, on Monday night, and that is Abdullah Decore, the, the man who has been probably more integral to Sean Dyche's Everton than, than anybody else. I think, obviously, we know Calvert-Lewin is a big player and he, he was a big absence during his, 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 his injury concerns with the hamstring. But when Abdullah Decore was fit, you know, he was the the solution, I think, to the, the Dominic Calvert-Lewin problem and you know, four goals, two assists, obviously, that wonderful performance up at Brighton. And it... You know, Everton have extended his contract. So he had a one-year extension, a 12-month and it was um, option in favour of the club. I mean, I spoke to DeCorey about this a couple mm. of times. I spoke to him out in Washington, D.C. last summer and he was there saying, I'm desperate. I love the club. I'm desperate to stay and commit my future. Um, I just want the club to start talking and they're not. And I spoke to him after the Brighton game and he said, there's still not been any progress. Um, I want, you know, I'd, I'd like to stay the club, know my position. Well, now it's been made clear. Everton have triggered the option to the Corey will be here for another year. Chris, any thoughts on that? My, my only surprise is it's done now before we know whether they're in the, the Premier League or not. As you have you said, Joe, um, Abdullah Corey himself has, um, has been a long one in this that happened. He's very settled at the club. Interesting how uh, see, the first half of the season sort of fell out of favour under Frank Lampard, wasn't getting a game towards the end of that regime. But he's had a big sort of renaissance in his own personal fortunes under Sean Dyche and become one of the most important uh, first team players. I mean, we could only emphasise that through how much they missed him during the time that he was out through suspension. Um, but yeah, it just seems a, a little odd that it's done now, just sort of not waiting to see which division they're in. But I guess that just shows you how important they, they've, they've seen going forward, regardless, and that he is part of the, part of the plan. Senior player now, brought in under Carlo Ancelotti, he was probably sort of the the one brought in with the least fanfare and the same summer that the same window that they brought in Alan and James Rodriguez. He was the one who sort of went under the radar, but he's the only one there now and has extended his time in the club for another year. So I mean it's gotta be a positive move in that he's player who's finishing um, the season well. Um hopefully he could uh, maybe just have a a, a, a little um a little bit extra on Bournemouth and maybe get get another one then uh, as a little I won't say goodbye present because obviously he's staying on but just to Finish off what has been a positive end to the season for them. Yeah, I think so. I think the I think the reality of the situation is that we've seen during the past few months that Abdullah Decore can influence games in the Premier League. 
Mm-hmm. I think if Everton were to stay up next, uh, stay up this season, yeah. hopefully, of course, they, they do. Trying to bring it, if they let him go, trying to find someone that could have just as much of an impact for a cheap price, probably going to be difficult, especially yeah. when any money Everton do have needs to be spent elsewhere, really. Clearly, up top, fullbacks. I mean, really, you know, if Decore stay in means that there isn't another problem there to solve with, with limited financial um, means. I think also if the if the terrain was to change and say, for instance, Everton were to go down, mm. what this does do is this doesn't mean Everton, he won't necessarily leave Everton in the summer, but given the impact that he's had over the past few months, it means what Everton could do is they could command the fee. And I think, yeah. you know, given what he's done, then if Everton were to go down, there probably would be a few clubs that would sniff around him in the summer and wouldn't balk at, you know, potentially paying a transfer fee that's yeah. big enough for what feels like a little bit of a gamble now before Everton know their fate, where it'll probably pay off because they'd, they'd, they'd end up, you know, making a, a chunk yeah. of them. They'd make back the wages between now and whenever that is, and they'd probably make some money that they weren't otherwise going to get. So even from a cynical yeah. perspective, it probably makes sense. I think we can under I think we can understand why that would be the first of those out of contract deals to to be sorted as yeah. far as where, where obviously Seamus Coleman is another one who I think will be kind of top of everybody's minds. Um, Gavin, are you, are you are you surprised by Decore or are you, are you welcome it or? If there was a timer, perhaps. But I mean, there's a couple of comments really. I mean, I, I get it from the. I mean, we've just we've just spent like ten minutes talking about the need to bring money into the club, so. You keep the core, eh? it stops you. You know, I don't think we're in a position to spend ten or twenty million pounds on a replacement for him. I mean, and my cash going back out again. So, and in terms of a short term deal of twelve months, just to tie this over cash wise, it makes a lot of sense. The other thing as well, which is immediately struck me, is this a sign that Dice is going to stay, whatever happens? I think. I mean, it's yeah. obviously it's a decision that Dice would have been yeah. central to. And I think if you look at where Decore found himself within the setup, probably going into late January, I think the reality is that had they been able to get, had they been able to get a sizable fee for him in January, which is always going to be unlikely given he was out of contract, I think they probably would have, like a few others that have had a bit of a renaissance under um, under Dykes like Michael Keane. I think if the, if the right offer had come in, I think they probably would have accepted it, but. Obviously, those offers didn't come in. It's a weak squad anyway. So the longer the window went in, went on without new players coming in, I think the more reluctant Everton were to allow what were then fringe players to go. Um, bearing in mind that the the, the the lack of strength in in depth there. But yeah, I think I think it's probably fair to read into this. The you know the the perception going forward is that the Dyche is likely to be there. Obviously, he signed a two and a half year contract. So I think yeah. that. You know, I don't, I don't think Everton would have would have you know signed the deal in January with a view to getting rid of him in, in the summer if they could help it. Obviously, they paid so much money out in terms of sacking managers and letting them go over the past five or six years under the Mashiri reign so far that it really, you know, is something that needs to be avoided. Um, I don't think that there's a break clause in his contract in the event of relegation, but if I'm perfectly honest, I, I don't know that for certain, but. I think if you work on the, if Everton were to stay up, which yeah, hopefully they will, and it's obviously it's in their own hands, as we covered on the pod yesterday. I mean, that has to be seen as a success from Deitch, and whether we have questions over some of his tactical decisions over right. recent months, <laughs> there isn't really any way that he doesn't come out of that looking very good because this was a club that was in a mess on the pitch as well as off it when when he became involved. So, 
I think that is probably the case, um, Gav. I think it, I think it, it probably an indication as to where Evans' current thought process lies. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I think I think this is better. It's been thought through this. I don't think this was just done on the back of a five-packer, was it really? I mean, the other thing as well, we must point out, because it's a good deal for Takore, isn't it, really? Because if he if he, he's leaving the, leaving the summer, he's not going to get a salary in another club that will compare to extending his contract at Evan for another 12 months, isn't it? it is, I, I don't know what, it's a 30, is he, Takore? Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a good deal for him. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, this, for me. And it, it's a point of maybe some structured thinking going forward. And some some continuity there, so yeah, I'll I'll have that. Just got to hope that he he keeps his form next season. Really shown since um, since he come back into the team because he is obviously even though we actually I think about this, he probably had his first game on the dice didn't he on, on Saturday? Thought he he was uh, he was poor, but yeah, he's been he's been good for us. And that for lots of different reasons makes a lot of sense. This this deal for both parties. Yeah, absolutely. And then just one final topic, I think, just before we do go, and that's the injury situation. So we're speaking early Tuesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the big questions are over Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Nathan Patterson, both of whom pull, were pulled off on the, the first half of the game at Molyneux with hamstring injuries. Well, Dice said that they were due to be assessed. So my current understanding is Patterson is likely to miss the Bournemouth game. It sounds like club haven't been open on this. That you know this this isn't coming from from the club, but it, it looks as though he's likely to be out for the next few weeks, so that therefore miss the game. Obviously, he was Everton's only fit senior fullback going into the Wolves match, and we saw that even with him starting, we still had Dwight McNeil playing at left back. Vitaly Mikolenko Deitch was hopeful would be back for this game, so that helps a little bit. Ben Godfrey was described as touch and go at best. Um, there is a very realistic prospect of Everton going to this game with no fit fullbacks and with you know Ben Godfrey not available as well. You know the most obvious backup not being there. That's clearly a concern. Uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin is a little bit less clear at the moment, but again, it's it's clear that that there's a concern over whether he's going to be available due to his hamstring issue. Where we end up on that, I'm not entirely sure at this stage, but. I don't think it's looking hugely positive on that front. Chris, I mean, if we assume that Dominic Calvaloon at this stage is still touch and go, yeah. so we'll say that he's still got a chance of being in there. If Nathan Patterson is out, if we work on a basis that, that Mikolenko can play yeah. and Nathan Patterson can't, at that point, would you keep the four at the back and just play Holgate there, despite the last time he was at right back, you know, having a torrid time against Jordan Ayew at Crystal Palace? Or would that be your trigger to change formation? Or would you only change formation if you're in a situation where Patson and Mikalenko are out? Yeah, I would try and avoid as much um, disruption as possible. I think that was the problem at Wolves last weekend. So I, I played Holgate at right back. Um, and I was, we were both there at Sellers Park. And he was brought in from the cold. And uh, a torrid afternoon, picked up the, the booking for the, the final nail in the first half. And then did it again there. Uh, after the break, um, he'd not played at all, I think, at that point, for, for several months. You know, he has played bits and pieces since then, albeit not too convincingly, struggled even on his, on, you know, he's moved him over to the left side where he's just not comfortable at all against Manchester City. I suppose it was Manchester City, arguably the best team in the world. But, yeah, for keeping things simple, you want McNeil going forward as well, which is another 
big thing. He was sacrificed his, his attacking abilities at, at Molyneux there to play very, very well in the circumstances, but um, I don't know, at left back where he, he was sort of restricted in, in getting forward. So, yeah, for, for purposes of minimising disruption to the team, if at all possible, I'd put Holgate in at right back and keep the flat back forward. And if Mikolenko wasn't available as well as Patterson, would you then change yeah, it at that point? And I then... think, yeah, I think you're then possibly having to look at reshaping the team and possibly it will be McNeil as wing-backs. But if at all possible, I think we want to have Dwight McNeil in as advanced position as possible. Try and get, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, I wouldn't say a rich vein of form, but he scored a few goals in, in recent times. And get him there on the front prop from the start, similar to Brentford, whatever, 30 seconds, something like that. That'll do nicely. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll be more than more than helpful. Wouldn't it? Well, look, that's it. We're going to wrap it up at that point. Thanks very much for joining us. As uh, saying, unusual, essentially midweek episode of the Royal Blue, but so much had happened since we last recorded. We thought it just made sense. So thanks very much for listening. Thanks for everyone joining. Dave, in particular, not as a, a regular guest as we'd like, but we'll get you on more because it's going to be a hell of a summer. I think as as events move from off the on the pitch to off the pitch, I think. Uh, I think our listeners will be hearing a lot more of your voice and hopefully because obviously it comes with a lot of expertise. But thanks so much for listening, everyone. We will be back later in the week, probably on Friday, where hopefully by that point we'll have heard from Sean Dyche and have a little bit more concrete news on, on team news and injuries. And hopefully, hopefully the fears that we're currently experiencing aren't as, as, as founded as, as, as they could be. And we'll have some positive news going into what's going to be, say, a big weekend, one of the biggest weekends in history of the football club yes thanks so much for joining us you've been listening to the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo